please pray with me. Great God in heaven, lover of our souls, thank you for sending Jesus to make us your children. Thank you for sending Jesus to teach us what it means to serve you in your kingdom. Lord, we want to surrender to your will and your ways. Help us now to learn how to become the disciples you want us to be. Use these passages of Luke's gospel to remove all fear of the cost and replace it with wholehearted, obedient faith. This we ask in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Do you value your life more than your soul? If an enemy confronted you today, demanding you reject Jesus to save your life, what would your response be? With world events unfolding as they are, answering that question could soon become reality. Muslims and Jews are at war and both camps are willing to die for their religious beliefs. They are zealous followers or disciples of Islam and Judaism. Are you and I that zealous as disciples of Jesus Christ? If not, why not? Long ago, a young man living abroad decided to break off his engagement to his fiancée. He wrote her saying, We suffer many casualties. We are those whom they shoot, hang, lynch, tar and feather, imprison, slander, fire from our jobs, and whose lives people make miserable in every way possible. Some of us are killed and imprisoned. We live in poverty. They call us fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one supreme factor, the struggle for our cause. We have a cause to fight for, a specific goal in life. We lose our insignificant identities in the great river of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard, we are amply rewarded in the thought that all of us are contributing something new and better for humanity. This cause is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my meat, and my drink. I work at it by day and dream of it by night. Its control over me grows greater with the passage of time. Therefore, I cannot have a friend, a lover, or even a conversation without relating them to this power that animates and controls my life. I have already been in jail for my ideas, and if need be, I am ready to face death. What a picture of complete devotion, undivided focus, and unhindered, single-minded ambition. What was his cause? Communism. But what? If we applied his passionate, single-minded focus to Christian discipleship. Discipleship is at the heart of Jesus' ministry. The New Testament is the story of disciples written by disciples who wanted to make disciples. And those disciples changed the world. For them, being saved by Jesus Christ was to be totally committed to a life of obedience. 
to walk as their rabbi walked and to become like him. Following Jesus Christ should impact our lives. As his disciples, we should strive to live with a passionate, single-minded focus for him and his cause. Our goal is to be a disciple in everything we do. This is costly, but disciples of Jesus Christ should be willing to pay whatever it costs to follow him. Luke chapters 6 through 9 is full of Jesus' instruction to his disciples because God's call for his people is costly discipleship. That is the truth we will examine in our two divisions, preparation for the cost and power for the cost. Our first division is preparation for the cost, Luke chapter 6 through 7. Please open your Bibles and follow along with me. In these chapters, Dr. Luke records how Jesus prepared his disciples for the cost of following him. It would not be easy. Preparation was vital. As we open Luke chapter 6, the Pharisees and scribes were watching Jesus' every move, looking for him to transgress their laws. Now note, I said their laws. Jesus did not ever break or transgress God's law given to his servant Moses at Mount Sinai. Jesus intentionally breaks the laws added by the religious leaders to reveal that he is God, the actual author and perfect interpreter of the law. As the Son of Man, he has divine and absolute authority over all creation. He is the Lord over everything. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, Jesus proves that he is Lord of the Sabbath. In two separate instances, he breaks the Sabbath law of the religious leaders. First, he and his disciples prepare grain uh, to, with the simple act of plucking the heads of grain and rubbing them together. Second, he purposefully healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath because he wanted to make something very clear to the Pharisees. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He, being God, invented the Sabbath. In verses 12 through 19, Jesus spent all night on a mountain praying before choosing 12 men from all his disciples to be his apostles. The word apostle means one who is sent. All the apostles were disciples, but all disciples are not apostles. Jesus chose 12 men who were already following him as his disciples so that they would be the first-hand witnesses to all Jesus said and did. He was preparing them to spread the gospel of salvation and become the foundation of his church. In verses 20 through 38, we see the record of a sermon that Jesus gives his disciples, a sermon that Matthew's gospel account calls the Sermon on the Mount. In it, he teaches about the Beatitudes or the blessings that belong to those who answer God's call to costly discipleship. Namely, 
the blessings of the kingdom of God, satisfaction found in Christ alone, laughter in the face of sorrow, and great rejoicing and a great reward in heaven in the face of persecution. In verses 24 through 26, Jesus contrasts those blessings with the woes that belong to those who do not follow him. They refuse God's call to costly discipleship. Therefore, they receive in this life all they will ever receive. In verses 27 through 38, Jesus continues to prepare his disciples for costly discipleship. He lists attributes that mirror his own character. His disciples must love their enemies, bless those who curse them, pray for their abusers, give generously to beggars, do to others what they want done to them, and lend generously without expecting anything in return. Jesus says his disciples must live in this way because they are called sons of the God Most High. As sons, they must be merciful because their Father is merciful. In your lesson this week, you had an opportunity to write down everything Jesus said should be true of his disciples. How are you measuring up, dear disciple? In verses 36 through 45, Jesus teaches his disciples a parable about a speck versus a log in one's eye. This parable is an invitation to careful self-assessment. Commentator Ralph Davis summarizes by saying, No splinter detection without beam elimination. Jesus' disciples must have a sober view of what he expects of them. They must imitate him. Disciples are not above their teachers. In verses 30, 43 through 45, Jesus says they must produce good fruit that reveals who they follow. Translation, disciples of Jesus Christ are known by what they say and do. In verses 46 through 49, Jesus illustrates this point, saying that those who hear his words and do them are like a house built on a solid foundation. They cannot be shaken by trials and troubles. Those who do not obey Jesus build houses with no foundation. Trials and troubles cause them to collapse and fall into ruin. God's call for his people is costly discipleship. Often that cost comes as we obey God's word. But the blessings always far outweigh the cost. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus prepares his disciples in four different situations he encounters. First, in verses 1 through 10, he highlights the faith he expects of his disciples. Using a Roman centurion with such great faith, he caused Jesus to marvel. He was a Gentile, not a Jew. But this centurion told Jesus all he needed to do was say the word and his servant would be healed. And so he was. Jesus declares, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. This man 
believe that Jesus, the Son of Man, is Lord over the human body. In verses 11 through 16, Jesus arrives in the town of Nine with his disciples and a great crowd following him. Despite the crowd's demand for his attention, Jesus zeroed in on one person, a widow walking in her only son's funeral procession. Note that she did not call out to Jesus. Jesus saw her, and when he did, his heart was filled with compassion. He says to her, do not weep. Then touched the bier or the platform which carried her dead son and said, young man, I say to you, arise. Immediately the dead man sat up and began to speak. Jesus, the Son of Man, is the Lord of life. This gives us a beautiful picture of the gospel. No one in this story did anything to cause Jesus to raise this man from the dead. Compassion in the heart of Jesus caused him to act. The same compassion that led him to the cross to die in our place to pay the death penalty for our sins. We are dead in our sins, but in Christ we are raised to new life. How do we respond to such grace and mercy? By walking in obedience to our new master, the Lord Jesus Christ. God's call for his people is costly discipleship, but the cost we pay can never, ever come close to what it cost God to purchase our pardon, the shed blood of his one and only beloved son. In verses 17 through 30, attention turns back to John the Baptist, a great prophet sent by God. Reports about Jesus' ministry had reached John in prison, but his ministry did not look like what John expected. Even John doubted in his heart what he knew in his head. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus' response gave John and the Israelites irrefutable proof that he is the Messiah. He says he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's messianic prophecies when he says in verses 22 and 23, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. In verses 24 through 35, Jesus publicly commends John the Baptist for his faithful service, saying there is none greater than he. Then he says something that is hard to grasp. He says, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Commentator Warren Wearsby helps us understand. He says, how is the least person in the kingdom of God greater than John? In position, not in character or ministry. John was the herald of the king announcing the kingdom. Believers today are children of the kingdom and friends of the king. In verses 31 through 35, 
Jesus condemns the religious leaders for their unbelief. No one and nothing would please them, not even God in the flesh. But Jesus, the Son of Man, is the Lord of Lords. He is Messiah. In verses 36 through 50, the disciples are given a lesson on devotion. A woman entered the home of Simon the Pharisee to wash and anoint Jesus' feet. Her devotion was costly. The alabaster flask of ointment was expensive, and once the flask was broken, it all had to be used. She poured out everything she had on her Lord and Savior. The Pharisees were shocked and disgusted. Jesus responded with a parable about how forgiveness produces a response of loving devotion. In verse 47, Jesus commends the woman's extravagant devotion, saying, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. The Pharisees respond by saying, Who is this? Who even forgives sin? They knew that only God can forgive sins. What they failed to realize or refused to believe is that Jesus is God. As the Son of Man, he has been given authority by the Most High God and reigns over his kingdom now and forever. And he has the right to demand costly discipleship from his disciples. So our first truth is that Jesus, the Son of Man, has the right to demand costly obedience from his disciples. How prepared are you to obey Jesus' commands, even when they are costly? In what specific ways are you walking as a disciple of Jesus Christ? German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a disciple of Jesus Christ who valued his soul more than his life. At the end of World War II, he was hung by Adolf Hitler because he stood up against the atrocities being committed against his fellow man. Bonhoeffer taught people about cheap grace or receiving God's gracious salvation but refusing to be his disciple. This cannot be. He purchased us as his own with the precious blood of his son. We belong to him. True believers must resist cheap grace and enter the life of active discipleship, even though it is costly. Jesus, the son of man, has the right to demand costly obedience from his disciples. However, none of us is left to carry the cost on our own. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible. As Zechariah 4, 6 says, it is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He gives us power for the cost. That is the second, um, that's the subject of our second division, Power for the Cost, Luke chapters 8 and 9. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus continued his ministry in Galilee, 
proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. In verses 4 through 21, Luke focuses on one of a disciple's greatest resources, God's word. Jesus teaches that disciples who hear the word must receive it, share it, and obey it. In verses 4 through 15, Jesus teaches a parable that describes four different kinds of hearts that hear and receive God's word. Three are fruitless. One is fruitful. Fruit is the proof of salvation. The seed in the parable represents God's word. It is not enough to hear the word. It must result in a genuine profession of faith in Jesus Christ and a changed heart. Only the seed that falls on good soil produces fruit. Disciples who truly hear the word receive it in their hearts and produce fruit. Every true believer will produce fruit. The amount and type of fruit will vary, but it is always costly for a disciple. Disciples produce good fruit when they share the gospel, give generously to God's work, serve the church sacrificially, or make hard choices to pursue holiness. In verse 9, Jesus explains why he often used parables to teach. The word parable literally means to cast alongside. Jesus cast illustrations alongside truth to explain it in such a way that his disciples could understand. But the truth would be hidden from his enemies. This was a judgment against those who rejected and persecuted him. He ends his teaching in verses 16 through 18 with an illustration that underscores that his disciples must take care how they hear. Then they must share what they hear. We lose what we have if we keep it to ourselves. But if we share it, we will receive even more. In verses 19 through 21, Jesus warns his disciples to obey the word even when it is costly. He demonstrates that his spiritual family is much more important than his own mother and brothers when it comes to obedience to God's word. His family, he says, are those who hear the word of God and do it. In the remaining verses of Luke chapter 8, Jesus encounters four different challenges. Danger, the devil, disease, and death. He overcomes them all by faith. What preparation for his disciples. In verses 22 through 25, Jesus and his 12 disciples encounter danger on the Sea of Galilee, and they react with fear, not faith. Jesus told them they were going to the other side of the lake, but they did not trust or heed his word. When a storm arose, the disciples let fear win because they did not look up by faith and trust God. An old saint named Ray Steadman once wrote that fear is the failure of faith. That is what we see here. 
the lesson is that Jesus, the Son of Man, is Lord over every danger his disciples face. The second challenge, the devil, is in verses 26 through 39. Landing on the other side of the sea, Jesus and his twelve were met by a demon-possessed man in the region of Gerasenes. The legion of demons occupying this man's soul quickly identified Jesus by name. They say, Jesus, son of the most high God. They begged him not to throw them into the abyss, but to allow them to enter a herd of pigs. He granted their request, then sent the pigs running into a lake where they drowned. The healed man wanted to follow Jesus, but Jesus sent him back home to witness about the power and authority of God. The disciples learned that Jesus, the Son of Man, is Lord over the demons and disciples. His power is unlimited. The third and fourth challenges of disease and death are intertwined in verses 40 through 56. In Capernaum, Jesus encountered a man named Jairus who had a 12-year-old daughter who was dying and an anonymous woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Jairus begged Jesus to come see his daughter. The woman remained hidden, hoping to get close enough to just touch Jesus. Jairus' urgent need was put on hold when Jesus stopped and asked, Who touched me? Surrounded by crowds of people touching him, he recognized a touch of faith. The woman touched the edge of Jesus' garment, believing he could heal her. When she did, Jesus knew immediately that power had gone out from him. He said her faith made her well. In the meantime, Jairus' daughter died. What a challenge of faith. For Jairus and the disciples. Jesus urges them, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. As the mourners laughed, Jesus took the girl by the hand and said, child, arise. Her spirit returned and she got up at once. The disciples learned once again that Jesus, the Son of Man, is the Lord of life. His power and authority triumphs over disease and death. In Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, Jesus gives his 12 apostles his power and authority over demons and disease to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal. In verses 10 through 17, the disciples return from their mission trip, and Jesus whisked them away for some time alone. However, the crowds would not leave Jesus alone, and Jesus could not leave the crowds alone. He welcomed them, taught them, and healed them. Late in the day, moved by compassion, he told the disciples to feed the crowds. With only five loaves of bread and two fish to feed a crowd of over 10,000 people, they were forced to look to Jesus, and he did not disappoint. The disciples learned that Jesus, the Son of Man, is the Lord of lunch, the bread of life. He is God's gracious provision for our salvation from sin. 
He teaches us that we must show others compassion and we must trust God to provide the power we need to do so. God's call for his people is costly discipleship, but it is his power that equips us for that call. In verses 18 through 21, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ or Messiah, and he instructs the disciples not to tell anyone. He knew that his destiny as Messiah was the cross. Speaking openly about his Messiahship would cause a rebellion against Rome by those who misunderstood what he came to do. In verses 22 through 26, Jesus makes Messiah's mission very clear. He says the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. It does not get any clearer than that. Still, the disciples did not fully grasp his meaning. This statement did not line up with their expectations for Messiah. Neither did the next truth Jesus taught them. In verses 23 through 24, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. God's call for his people is costly discipleship. The cost is to deny self all our desires, possessions, and pleasures and live for Christ. Are you willing to pay this cost? Jesus says we must do this daily. Our flesh is a powerful force. We must daily identify with Jesus by crucifying our flesh. We can only do this by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. He alone gives us the power for the cost we must pay to be Jesus' disciples. In verses 27 through 36, Jesus encourages three of his disciples with a stunning peek at his glory. Jesus, the Son of Man, is the King of the Kingdom of God. While on a mountaintop praying, his appearance was transfigured with shining glory. Two men stood with him, Moses and Elijah. A cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud came the coal Yahweh, or the voice of God, saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. What powerful instruction for disciples of Jesus Christ. Listen to Jesus. Obey Him. Then the Holy Spirit will transform us more and more into the likeness of our Savior. This gives us the power for the cost of being his disciples. 
Jesus clearly taught his disciples what it means to follow him. But still, they did not fully grasp what he was saying. Unlike believers today, they did not have the Holy Spirit living inside them. They did not have the full counsel of God's word bound in one book. But you and I do. The last verses of Luke chapter 9 highlight what the disciples still lacked. In verses 37 through 45, their lack of power is revealed when they could not heal a boy with an unclean spirit. The other gospels tell us the disciples had failed to pray and fast. Therefore, they did not have God's power. After healing the boy, Jesus took the twelve aside and again foretold his death. In verses 43 through 44, he told his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They did not understand what he was saying. More than that, they lacked love for one another. They responded to this astounding revelation by arguing about which of them is the greatest. They wanted a seat of honor in King Jesus' court when he ascended his earthly throne. Their perspective was worldly, not eternal. Disciples of Jesus Christ must cultivate an eternal perspective. Jesus knew their hearts and used a child to explain true greatness. In verses 49 through 50, their lack of love is seen with a man casting out demons in Jesus' name because he wasn't one of them. In verses 51 through 56, their lack of love is seen as the Samaritans did not receive Jesus because his face was set toward Jerusalem. John and James responded by asking Jesus if, Jesus if they could call down fire from heaven to consume them. This behavior was completely unbecoming of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Loving those who are different or those who are enemies is costly, but Jesus calls his people to costly discipleship. Chapter 9 closes with Jesus underscoring the cost of following him. Three different men wanted to follow him as his disciples, but Jesus tells each one what it will cost. If they wanted to follow him and proclaim the kingdom of God, there was no looking back. No one who looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These men needed to deny or die to their old life to receive power for the call to costly discipleship. This is what Jesus requires of his disciples. Our second truth is that Jesus, the Son of Man, requires his disciples to deny self and daily take up their cross to follow him. Which demands of discipleship are most difficult for you to comprehend or accept? 
Which demand are you refusing to obey? What is keeping you from wholehearted surrender to Jesus as his blood-bought disciple? Theologian J.C. Ryle said that a single day in hell will be worse than a whole life spent in carrying the cross. Jesus said, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus, the Son of Man, requires his disciples to deny self and daily take up their cross to follow him. Do you value your life more than your soul? If an enemy confronted you today, demanding you reject Jesus to save your life, what would your response be? The young communist letter expressed the kind of passionate devotion required of every Christian disciple. While we should feel pain and sorrow for the misguided zeal and devotion of this communist, his commitment to his cause beautifully illustrates how true devotion to Jesus Christ can and should revolutionize the way we live. Following our Savior should have a profound impact on our lives. It should utterly transform our hearts and our minds until we unreservedly answer God's call to costly discipleship. Please pray with me. Holy Father, what a humbling call it is to be disciples of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, prepare us and empower us to deny self and daily take up our cross to answer the call of costly discipleship. This we ask in the precious name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen.